Welcome to Boots Off Log On, a podcast where we talk all things farm business. A show about the business of farming, bringing you insights and wisdom from the leaders in farm business, helping you minimise risk and maximise return on all your hard work. I'm David and I'll be your host for the show. G'day everybody and welcome to another episode of Boots Off Log On. Today I'm talking with Chris Tonkin, founder and director of 10 Tigers, a grain marketing and consulting business from Western Australia. Chris grew up as a farm boy from Coomadale in WA and has been in the grains industry for over 26 years. He founded his business 10 Tigers in 2004. In this chat, Chris brings all these years of experience. In this episode, Chris and I speak about all things grain marketing. We unpack the complexity of the global grain trade and how this can affect the prices you receive on farm, how to put together a good grain marketing strategy, and why you should account for basis in your cash flow budget. We talk about the importance of the interaction between your cash flow budgeting, your tax strategy, and your grain marketing strategy. How changing global positions and government foreign policy affect the price you receive. Chris talks about the importance of removing emotion from your grain marketing strategy and how to use the strategy to underpin your short-term cost of production and long-term debt. We also cover some important do's and don'ts of grain marketing and why it's important the whole family are part of the grain marketing strategy. If you're a grain grower or in the grains industry, this conversation is for you. I hope you enjoy. Welcome again, everybody, to the podcast. Today I have with me Chris Tonkin, as I um, previously introduced you to. Chris is the founder and director of 10 Tigers. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. (laughs) Now, mate, I talked about this off air, but we're going to have to do it again. 10 Tigers, mate. Everybody wants to know why 10 Tigers for a grain marketing company. What not grain marketers associates or something, you know? Well, you could have all sorts of names, but... To be honest, I thought that Chris Tonkin grain marketing was, I don't know if I can use the word, a little bit wanky. So, yeah. uh, I've got a bit of a, a passion, I guess, and one of those passions is the Phantom. And the Phantom is a uh, is a, an, a leader who doesn't wear, he doesn't have any superpowers or anything like that. He's the longest running uh, superhero comic in the world. And he's got many, many quotes. And one of those is he's as strong as 10 tigers. And that was where I got that from. I started reading Phantoms from a very young age, and so I've got a massive big collection of Phantom comics, and that's where most of it comes from. But also on that is that uh, Ten and Tigers are both extremely lucky throughout all of Asia. So if I happen to be wearing a Ten Tigers logo in Singapore or Malaysia or somewhere like that, I get people at the shops who actually sit there and chat and go, oh, wow, that's really exciting. So. Oh wow, that's yeah. Brilliant. It's just a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit different. So it was kind of. I don't know if it was ever going to be public or not, but the Phantom is certainly something that uh, it allows me to let my brain wander off into another space altogether that gets away from grain marketing and life, and you can just concentrate on what the Phantom's doing, you know, and saving everybody and being the king basically that he is. So 
Yeah, and he hasn't aged a day, and I think he's been going since the 40s or something, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's 1940s for the comic, and, uh, and the fandom's about 400 odd years old. Is he still married to Diana? He is, yes. Yeah, yeah, you've done your homework, I like that. <laughs> All right, mate, let's, we better get on to the topic for everybody listening. Grain marketing. So, look, we've been storing grain as humans. I did a little bit of research. 11,000 years, I think, are some of the earliest known silos people have found. So I think, you know, storing grain is and trading or to hold off the market and trade it, etc., is a, it's an old industry when it comes to um, humans. So... Your business, 10 Tigers, Grain Marketing Consulting. Can you explain, let's start off with a few things. Grain marketing and grain trading, are they different things? Is it a different mindset? Can you just explain, give us a bit of a 101 on, yeah, on well, this topic? It's, they're very, very different because I guess uh, at the end of the day, I mean, even though we as grain marketing advisors and consultants do, do trade some grain effectively, it's we're not actually the traders who are then accumulating that grain and sticking it on a boat and taking it to Vietnam. So there's there's quite a, a I guess, a, a very solid line in between it. When we're looking at being involved in grain marketing and advising, and so we do this 100%. We don't actually do consulting or books or any of that other financials or anything like that. We try and spend 100% of our time watching the markets and trying to work out what you can actually do best for your client. And I guess in this case, mm-hmm. as grain marketers, we actually work 100% for a client in their best interest, whereas a trader works 100% in their bank balance's best interest for themselves. And which is fair, that's that's commerce and that's business as it is. You know, they're a company like, you know, it could be a, a Viteer, a Louis Dreyfus, a Cargill. You know, there's, there's many, many large multinationals who are trading to make a profit. And they want to buy that grain from the farmers that, that we deal with in WA. And... To be able to do that, they have to be able to offer up prices, but they still have to be able to make a profit on, on what they're doing. And they have to organise all the, the logistics, you know, and, and very topical one for this year, you know, like shipping slots is actually trying to A, get them, and then to get the grain to them and then get the boat to the right spot and have the uh, the end user market of where you can actually take the grain to as well. So there's a heck of a lot of logistics going on. And when we're looking at, you know, at the moment, there's a bit of a fight on in uh, Ukraine and Russia and that's had impacts on world freight markets and we're seeing massive uh, demurrage bills with boats that have been held off WA ports as well so that the buyers have got all these quite large risks and when we're when we're talking where the world pricing is at the moment it's a lot of money their credit limits have been well and truly blown out and so they've got to manage it very very carefully. So let's talk about the complexity then so it's worth spending a little bit of time and understanding the full complexity of the global grain trading market because you've just really touched on a bit of a surface of it there. But we probably could spend two hours just talking about that itself. But let's talk about the big moving parts. What are the big moving parts of this whole grain global grain trading system that people really need to be aware of into the point of this is where the risks are and this is where the opportunities are in this in this big system that we that we all yeah, right. No, which is a, uh, like the world, it's a very large question, I suppose. And it's a large world. We often, uh, you know, we have to be keeping a very close eye on just on there's, there's fundamentals and I guess there's technicals. And the, the technicals are like the actual futures markets. And that also might be the conversion rates for the Aussie and the US dollar and the Aussie and the euro and, and the Canadian dollar. You know, there's the, the technical markets can be uh, extremely volatile. 
and we do have to have a very good idea of you know where markets are moving and different averaging pricing and what's happening in a Chicago wheat market, Chicago corn market or soybeans. There's a whole multitude of crops that all blend into one. But well, then you start to actually you delve into some of these things, like particularly say in the, the oil market, and you might have soybean oil and we have canola oil. There's palm oil and there's sunflower oil. And, you know, there's a lot of sunflowers that are exported out of Ukraine. That's basically at a bit of a stop for, uh, for the world market for that. They, they do a large amount of the exports of sunflower oil. Our canola oil just goes into that entire whole oil complex, I guess. And so we can be very broadly affected by that quite, quite quickly. Crude oil itself and Brent oil, when we're looking at that for actually um, supplying all the oil for moving ships and for moving, I guess, everything to do with agriculture. Mm-hmm. They, the interactions there are significant in one part of the market will actually have ripple-on effects all the way through. And you know, one thing that comes to mind with the, the oil seeds is, uh, is government intervention. We had the, the Ukraine war, the prices in all the futures markets, so the technical markets were all flying upwards. And then the uh, Indonesians decided it was their government, just a pure government decision, that they were going to stop exports of palm oil. So that because they said they didn't have enough. And then three weeks later, suddenly they had enough. But in that time, the market spiked up again and then fell down again as soon as they said, oh, we're actually going to start exporting again. We can suddenly store you know, 6 million tonnes. And, oh, we've got 6 million tonnes. Oh, how about that? So then, because they're, they're trying to internally and is to control food pricing because you do get food rights. And we have seen this in the past, in the last you know five or 10 years in some countries, especially in developed world countries. And that's a, a real issue that, I guess governments have to manage. You, know, you see this in India regularly where they'll, they'll change a parameter in Argentina because they either want to be on the side of the farmers or they want to actually manipulate getting US dollars into their economy or they want to stimulate more wheat exports or soybean exports. Government politics is a, is a really large, I guess you'd call it a left field that can just come out of nowhere and, and influence markets as well. And so even as you as an advisor, there's a, there's uh, when I'm talking to clients a lot, I always talk about known knowns and known unknowns and unknown unknowns, these things that managing risk. And government's suddenly going, okay, I'm worried about my population riding on me, so I better shut down exports. There's a bit of an unknown unknown. You, you really Absolutely. can't predict when it's going to happen or if it ever is going to happen. Ooh, and which commodity it's going to affect or which market it's going to affect as well. And then... Uh part of the risk, I guess, of, uh, of the businesses that we're in. Yeah, so that's, that's an important thing. It's about risk management. So we often think about grain marketing, especially when I'm talking at a pub level, it's very much about profit maximisation, mm-hmm. really. We always think about price maximisation. But like you're explaining here, you're saying that there's there's so much risk mitigation involved in, in, in any sort of grain marketing or grain, grain strategy, whether you're trading or marketing, I suppose. Is, is that... A good summation. Yeah. Oh, look, there is. Yeah, there's a, a lot of risks, and there's and there's not a lot of mechanisms to counteract that risk as well. But like when we're looking at trying to to forward price and so to try and cover some risk, you know, one or two years in advance, that I guess you could say now in the last twelve or eighteen months, the entire marketing world has flipped on its head basically, as comparison to all the norms and things that we probably had for the ten to fifteen years before that, and we've we've now got a, a lot of other issues floating over very high prices but we've also got extremely high inputs as well and so then we've actually got to be able to go well can we still make a profit we've had 
in WA, a couple of extraordinarily good years. We're looking very, very good again this year, but that's leading to a, a large carryover. And particularly there's four zones in WA, port zones, and the Kwinana zone being the biggest is likely to have the very largest carryover. And again, if that happens again this year, they'll probably have enough almost for a half a year to a year's supply already for the next season, which then we've got another problem coming up later on as well. And so the whole industry has particularly been trying to work out how they can improve the freight efficiencies, how you can get trucks, how you can get train drivers, how you can get extra storage, and how you can actually get that grain to port. And then once we can actually get that to port, we can start making more money. But at the moment, that's where the buyer demand, it's there on an international scale, but it's it's lower in Western Australia. And some of that is because of the quality, like the low protein quality of the crop that we've got. But it's also is that they've got so many risks is that the world price, if the world price is 500, we're seeing a price here of 400. So there's a large what they call elevation margin in the middle there where, so traders are doing probably very well, even with the other added risks and things that they have to take into account, they're still making quite a lot more of a margin than what they did probably three or four years ago when there was actually a number of buyers who lost money. So is this about, you are talking about shipping. So this is about, so I'm a grower. So I look at this as a grower looking in, I'm going, God, there's so many moving parts, what do I do? But really this is, they just can't get ships or like you said, demarriage to, if I, I can't even pronounce that correctly, demarrage to, like, they can't just get the grain out of the state and into these markets. So the market might be there, but you've got to get it to the market. Yeah, yeah, we're probably, it's probably coming back one slight step, and it's like getting it from up country. So let's give an example. So from, let's say it's from Minginu to Geraldton, or it's from mm-hmm. um, you know, Lake King to Esperance, that part there is where we're having a lot of trouble. And that's because we've had such great yields and very, very large Mm. high yielding packages that are certainly coming to fruition. And WA farmers have produced a lot more grain than what they were doing five or 10 years ago. And it's a matter of the rest of the logistics procedures and everything like being able to keep up with that. Because then if we can get that extra grain to port, we do have the markets there for it. There's there's a lot of demand around for, for grain at the moment and we just we just can't quite get rid of it all in a timely enough fashion. Alrighty, so let's get into grain marketing on 101. So I'm a grower and I'm growing X thousand tonnes of wheat, canola, and in the East Coast you can have probably Queensland, you might have sorghum yeah. and maybe soy and faba beans. So I, I, I had an attempt at growing those when I was a farmer. I used to call them failure beans. <laughs> but if you go to Horsham, there's just hundreds of acres of those and they're brilliant. Grain marketing on 101. So how, you know, if, let's say I'm a brand new farmer. I, I really want to get my head around this and I want to do it really well. Where do I start, Chris? So how do I get my head in the game for this? You do have to be very good at at actually knowing. Like you've got the, you get the basics, like your, your hectares you're actually planting and the different crops that you're doing and then what you're, what you're actually a, a real good recommended budget yield might actually be for your business and because you are going to have variables you might you might budget one and a half two tons and you may get one ton or you might get three or four tons so you've got to be able to adjust as you go through the season so we find that grain marketing is not just a draw a line in the sand and and she'll be right you've got to know you've got to know what a good price is and that's why we have percentiles and we look at that on two and five and ten year basis so then you can actually identify for any given crop in a zone what actually is a good price so if it's a lower price you know then say an an 80th percentile around that level is that uh, you go well 
is it actually worth selling? What's the risk reward? Got to be a reward for going out there and committing early. And we have found over a lot of time that you get good prices, but you don't necessarily get them when you want them. It's not when you've actually got the grain. So you, it's actually over a time period. And so up until probably the last 18 months, we've had a lot of opportunities in that one to three year in advance of the crop being produced as well, which is then where people could use derivatives or swaps. Now this last year, that's where they've come unstuck a little bit because of this not being able to get grain to port means that we have a very negative basis. And that basis is all is basically just buy demand is probably the easiest way of explaining it. And if that's very low, that doesn't work out so well with any of these technical derivative swap contracts that have been used in the past. Now, with the risk of getting technical, Chris, there's some grain marketing terms that take me back to my uni lectures, right? So swaps, derivatives, basis, right? So let's unpack that a little bit because I know whenever you listen to, say, one of your YouTube videos or whatever, there's there's an assumed understanding in the grain marketing. It's almost like ag has got its own vocabulary and grain market has got another sub vocabulary yes. best example of uh let's just do a, a little bit on each so a swap you so you can you best explain a swap for a, for a person why would i use a, a swap well it's all about managing your risk and and i guess the thing is there mm-hmm. is that uh that's if you're comfortable and wanting to learn or do something that might be one to two to three years in advance whereas most people are comfortable and they understand cash but usually mm-hmm cash isn't available as far out, like uh, in advance, mm-hmm. for example. And, and we're seeing that as a, it's been a real problem for this 12 months. And, and a lot of that reason is because the buyers are cash and credit strapped. They've got so much mm-hmm. money outstanding with grain from last year and the year before, and they've already bought some, and it's at very, very high levels. So that they're actually finding it hard to get access to credit. So that means then, and, and, and it's very hard to manage all the grain they've got, so they don't really want to think about buying cash forward too much at all. So at the moment, when we're looking at that with input costs, we've got people who have very high input costs for this coming season, which worries me a lot more than what we've just been facing, actually. And they want to offset it with a, a hedge of some sort to go, okay, well, I think I need $400 a tonne on my wheat to just, you know, to break even and to get a, a reasonable profit level for what my business does. Well, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. that's good. What are the tools that I've got to use that? And they're very limited. Really, you have cash and then you have that swaps as well. So you have those two different tools that maybe you can use to, to hedge and to lock in that price to cover your costs that you have for your business, which is the fertilizer and the inputs and everything there as well. So, so is that one of the strategies? In other words, so if you've got you're facing a year like twenty two and and twenty three, even possibly looking a bit tougher again, that you might have a strategy just to underpin the cost of production. In that case, you take up you sell enough grain forward on the on the well, in this case the futures market or the to essentially secure your cost of production. Is that a strategy that a client might take? Oh, absolutely, and particularly for people who are a leasing country as well, they might just want to go. Okay, we've just we're gonna. We're going to lock in enough grain to to basically cover the costs of that lease, and and that that makes them feel comfortable with what they're doing. You know, there's all sorts of different share farming and leasing agreements and things you can have, but there's certainly that aspect of it because I mean, if you can lock that price in, and you've guaranteed that for your costs, that's very handy because the market can swing a lot. And you know, to give you an idea, cash pricing this year for canola is 
come down $500 a tonne. For wheat, it's come down over 100 you know, $120, $130 a tonne. That can be a really large swing, and you can't guarantee that you're going to get that high price at harvest time. That high price could be any time during the year. And, you know, for instance, this year, it was in May when we had our peak, and as you'd be well aware in WA, all the crops were only about an inch high. You know, there wasn't uh, mm. wasn't very much there. So then everyone's like, well, am I actually going to produce it? And, you know, in, say, the Geraldton zone up north, it was a little bit dry. So there were certainly some people who were, who were nervous about committing to those prices. And those prices are now a lot lower than what they were at that stage. So, but the people then who were able to, you could say, take a punt or you could say, take a, a proper approach to their marketing, and do a, a conservative percentage, we're able to actually do some contract at those levels. So the, yeah. the volatility is is huge. And I mean, volatility, I've always said, is our friend at the end of the day because it gives us opportunities. Yeah, so that's that, that's that liquidity in the market. The fact there is a lot of grain traded in the world enables, I suppose, uh, a you as an advisor, but a grower, to take a position in the market because if those people weren't trading... You, you couldn't do that, I suppose. No, 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 you couldn't. And and there's also then with the, the technical side of it on the markets, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of speculators, there's a lot of managed funds, there's superannuation funds, there's all these sorts of businesses that have millions and millions of dollars that throw them into the market. And so there's a lot more grain traded on Chicago wheat, for example, than there is actually produced. Yeah, so that's a good point. So that's the difference between, say, a hedging strategy and a speculation strategy. So they're they're trading to essentially, a bit like trading shares, to clip the ticket on the up, aren't yes. they? As opposed to a grower, there's a hedging strategy. They're hedging Absolutely. price yeah. against physical production. Yeah, yeah, the grower is actually going, well, I'm hedging this against, I'm going to produce a 1,000 tonnes and I'm going to take out a contract for covering 250 tonnes of that, say, or 300 tonnes. And that's then what they're actually, you're lining up all the contracts and the numbers and everything associated with how you've sold that grain to get a result that's dollars in your bank at the end of the day. Can we just address the elephant in the room? We talked about uh, off on our phone conversation earlier before, There's a, you go to any pub in any place in the in the country, there's going to be a horror story about grain hedging, isn't there? Absolutely. Like everybody's got one, yep. right? Can we just demystify how do people... I suppose they don't get into these that they have happened. Let's just acknowledge that. So, but so what are the what are the bear traps here for for farmers? So where where do they get it wrong, and how do they accidentally fall into those you know correct those those stories? Yeah, well, I guess there's uh, there's so many different reasons of that that could be the case because uh, you, you tend to find that uh, it's probably human nature at the end of the day is that you'll just remember what the highest price was for the year and think, well, I didn't get that, so that means I've lost out, you know, two hundred dollars or three hundred dollars a ton, um, even though you never actually the, the opportunity was there, but you never actually did anything about it. Um, mm. Or hopefully, what you did is you actually made an educated decision to not do something about it. Not doing something just for the sake of not doing it is putting your head in the sand, but actually having a thought process and going, well, that doesn't quite fit my business and my risks at the moment. My crop hasn't grown. I'm worried about frost. I can only go to this amount of tonnes. You know, as long as you're having a good, thoughtful discussion about it and with everybody that's in your business team, because I do find it's very important to involve everyone in your farming business in what the decisions are. I've come across it far too many times now where it's isolated and like somebody takes on the responsibility and then you get the real benefit of someone else coming in later and giving them their hindsight view on exactly what that other person should have done. Yeah, so that is a I heard that. Yeah. 
X, Y, Z got blah. Why aren't we selling at blah? That sort of yeah, yeah, that sort of conversation. You can imagine how like the emotions can suddenly snap, and you know, a few people get a little bit uptight with their partners or with their brothers or sisters or someone like that who just happens to uh, just poke their head in when it's probably not quite warranted, I guess, like that. But so, so we've got a few things here. We've got obviously far, stuff that farmers have got. So this is good old fashioned, good budgeting. Know what your cost of production is, so you know what you can hedge yes. against. And then you're saying the emotions an important bit. So emotions drive global markets, really, yes. don't they? But <laughs> but as a grower who's trying to manage risk, so you're saying that they need to have this very considered approach to grain marketing. So you know, obviously, do your your cash flow forecast and your budgeting. Know your cost of production at least. If you want to hedge that, you know exactly what your I suppose your your break even point or your your cost yep. is. But then also have a, a plan so you don't get emotional and and bring everybody into that plan who's involved in the business. Is that- Absolutely, yeah. The the emotion is uh, is something I've found over the years. That's the bit that you want to try and get rid of. And it's probably been the hardest thing in the last twelve or eighteen months because. Probably we had a fair level of consistency with percentiles and world pricing and the volatility wasn't as huge as what it's been like in this last 12 months. So now we're looking at prices and if we went back in the last two or three years and said, well, this price to, you know, that, that we had in May and June this year, they're 100th percentile levels. So they were set new record levels and mm-hmm. still it was very hard for people to actually make a decision or to be able to sell. You know, it, if that had been the same case three years ago, we had even close to some of these prices. We've just been laid down as there. That's it. You're just you're just selling. And at the moment, that's where there's there's probably a lot more indecision in those markets because things are so they're just so volatile, and that that's making it harder for people to actually make decisions. And so then it's bringing in more of the emotion. And then when they're bringing in more of the emotion, they tend to get, uh, I guess, more upset with whatever the result happens to be, as to you know. For them and for their market or in for the trading environment and everything is there is it's actually at the end of the day you actually you're trying to do something just for your business the amount of times i've had questions of oh so what are the neighbors doing and what is everyone else doing at the moment you know are they selling or are they not selling and to be honest i for an individual business i don't find that actually all that useful because that doesn't help the profitability of your business that gets you into that greed fear cycle doesn't yes. it Chris? so for those of you who aren't aware of this so the the greed fear cycle is essentially it's, it's really people see the top of the market and then they hope it's going to come back to where it was and essentially end up holding out too long and because i think that you're losing in your head you're losing money every day as opposed to the fact yes, that yeah. but you haven't actually lost yes. anything so you get that like you know everyone feels that they haven't got the top price they're actually losing money in fact they haven't sold anything so they've lost nothing really. that's exactly right if you haven't locked in the loss or whatever it happens to be at any time then, then you know you're still you're still swinging so so, so the other thing is, so someone comes, so I come up to you, Chris, and go, oh, I think I'm going to grow, you know, 5,000 tonne a week this year. Let's put it all on red. The market's hot. I'm going to I'm going to take out a futures contract for the whole lot, Chris, on Chicago and lock it all in. What alarm bells are going off, Chris? Well, quite a few to the extent that we're like, well, it was very nice to talk to you, so bye. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really, don't really want to talk to people like that because there's been, I do know of cases of people who have done thing, things like that and, uh, and they haven't necessarily listened. And, you know, it's, uh, if you had um, swaps any time probably in the last 10 years, you've done very, very well 
Whereas at the moment, now they're actually looking at very much out of the money positions. And a lot of that is, is to do with that shipping and, the, and getting the grain to port because it comes back to that, that basis part. And that, that's where, you know, even though we've got really high prices at the moment and we're likely to have higher prices potentially um, going out for the next two seasons, is that instead of, as we would have done three or four years ago, budgeting on a a zero dollars a ton to probably plus 20 or plus 30 dollars a ton basis which is due to the buyer demand is it now i would actually recommend for the next two seasons that people actually budget on minus 50 dollars a ton so clarify that that so if you had a a wheat swap today at 450 dollars a ton i would actually tell my client budget on minus 50 to that and put that in your budget at a 400 price. And I think we're a pretty good chance of being able to get that as an opportunity in the next year or two. And if it's better than that, that means you get closer to the 450. And if it's about the minus 50, then you get 400. But that's actually what you put in your budget. So there's actually a big reality check. So it's quite a movement in how you would actually have part of your hedging strategy and where you would target your pricing at. So it's almost like a the basis is almost like a tax on your trade in you know in a sense isn't it like it's a, I mean I know it's not a real tax but it's like I've taken a position on the forward market of 450 but really by the time I move it and actually sell the physical grain I might only like you're saying might only get actual 400 cash oh, potentially and, to, and at one stage yeah. earlier this year that basis number was like minus 170 180 dollars we've never ever seen it before and to be honest in wa we we rarely see very far in the negatives ever since the the single desk has been abolished and so you know everyone's become accustomed to it even the trade has as well so when you say it's a tax it's actually been almost a tax where the grower has been paid and you think well that's been quite a good tax for 10 out of those last you know 12 years sort of thing which which would be very good it, it's where there's as a as a product those swaps have been exceptionally useful in the very low pricing years and so what we've found like six seven years ago when you had wheat at you know, 240 250 260 sort of range is there was clients there who are having a much higher average price in those years to do with the swaps because the basis was very much positive. So it was positive 40 or positive mm. $50 a ton or something rather like that. And one of the big benefits I've found with that is, and a lot of our clients have done this, is they've gone and bought farms in that time frame. When the prices have been low, they've had more money in the bank and they've been able to go and buy a farm. Now, if you look back and go, well, we bought a farm five or 10 years ago and the value of that farm now, you're doing exceptionally well just on the land value alone with that. So what that's so that's where that longer term profile and hedging has been targeted to do is to actually even out the income so that it's not so erratic up and down, but it's also to keep the lows away so that you're actually you know you're getting a better average over all those years. But it's the years when it's extremely volatile like this that you wouldn't you won't get exactly the highs, and then we've had it compounded with the fact that we've got such a negative basis because of those interviews. Yeah, so the point you're making there is, is this is this long-term financial planning strategy or budgeting strategy of your farm. So instead of trying to hit, go for red every year on pricing, you're talking about, okay, I've, you know, I've bought a farm for, so let's say, um, $5 million, and I need to, I really can't afford losses at, at base, right? So I need to make sure I've got a grain marketing strategy so I make margin every yep. year. And if I can secure a large price 
just through opportunity take it. But my first, my first underpinning part of my strategy is essentially loss minimization for ten years or five years or whatever, however far I can go out. So that underpins the the purpose of the Absolutely, strategy. Absolutely, yeah. It's to get your debt under control, so that then you're actually you know you're in a favourable trading position. So then you can actually then go and buy another farm, I guess, after that as well, or all the other off farm assets. So where does cash flow come in? So we've got a bunch of clients, so this is what we do. So we've got a bunch of clients. We help them product and stuff to help them plan cash flow. But how does that come into grain? So they're talking to you, so they're a client of yours. They've got cash flow. How do they work with, uh, say, uh, the market or especially a consultant like you with their grain marketing and their cash flow? Yeah, it is. It's a very important thing. It's something we try to get people to be looking at well in advance of harvest. And many people don't, and they may even look at it after harvest as well, which can be quite frustrating because particularly when we've had good years and they've been highly profitable, you know, there's a lot of taxation rules and things in place, is that we've have often had to look at uh, understanding exactly how much cash flow was required in that harvest period. They might be then HP payments and things that they need, and that might be in January or February. So it's actually working out, okay, we've got enough money in to cover that. And then there's often a discussion on, do you need to try and defer income into the following seasons? And that's, there's different means and mechanisms for that, and, and it also depends on the cash or accrual accounting system that they happen to be using as well, because then that can make uh, the options available very significantly, actually, and the prices as well. So that's increasingly more and more important. It's, uh, so when, they, then, when they're using a, a grain marketing advisor like yourself, you know, they've got, obviously, price considerations. They've got loss cost control considerations or cost underpinning considerations there's tax so tax planning so for example this year might be one of those everyone's had a really good year 2021 and they might have kicked the can down the road to 2022 three and it might they might not you know and they still might have another ripper so you know so there's plaques tax considerations but there's also cash flow and liquidity considerations so it's when do you need the money because you've got to put another crop in you've got to pay down debt so there's all these considerations that go into the grain marketing strategy that you can put together? Yes, yeah, yeah, you do need to. The more information you know about the business with all those factors, the more you can actually make uh, good decisions. You know, and that's that's why we have a, a 20, uh, 24-7 portal, for example, and, you know, people can actually see estimated revenues and then there's, there's very dedicated and accurate revenues and things there with all the costs so then they can actually be able to see and you can see that when you're starting to deliver your grain exactly how much money is going to go to your bank and then exactly what your costs and everything are as well we're pretty pedantic about that because at the end of the day that makes quite a lot of difference because there's a lot of money that goes out in in freight and uh and levies and what they call it free and store fis charges and stuff in wa as well so You've got to be well aware of exactly that to then think, okay, this is going to hit our bank account and this is the date that it's going to hit our bank account. So we can manage sales for that. So if somebody suddenly says, oh, look, I've got, I need a million dollars really shortly because I've got a deposit on a house in Perth. Uh, we need it by this date. We can actually go, okay, let's sell this grain that we've still got here and we can figure out exactly the day and everything that that will come in and how much it'll be. So that's all just, you know, just to make life easier, I guess. Yeah, but it's also, like you're saying there, is to be aware of all those costs. So when you're budgeting, let's say $450 a tonne, but you've got all those other costs, Ooh. you know, the obvious ones are freight. 
but then you've got all those levies and the, the, like you said the fees charge all that sort of stuff on top so it's important that you actually put those in your cash flow planning like those costs because it's not straight up no no, no that's it and, and you could be very wrong if you you know if you miss even a couple of those and even just getting the percentages right can actually make quite a difference too and also uh, the other tax considerations is things like the GST cash flow. So it's uh, I remember back in the old days when we used to have AWB, you used to when you used to get those forward. And I don't know the same as for pools now. You get your money up front, which is technically a loan, and it's taxed very differently if you sold it as for a GST yes. point of view than if you sold it for cash. So you'd actually be collecting your GST up front rather than at the back. And still, that option is there's actually basically there's not very many pool options or anything available. I actually think that this is probably one of those years where pools will be very popular and and a lot of the reason for that is because they can actually get that elevation margin from port to actually getting it to a free on board on a on a boat and Mm -hmm. so some of that theoretically should be going back to whatever the pool is and also in a pool is that the buyer can charge five or ten bucks a ton and they don't have any of the credit risk of actually saying oh we've bought this for four hundred dollars a ton and they've actually got to be able to pay for exactly that the uh, the risk actually does go back onto farmers in relation to that but but I think that you know, pools will probably perform quite well again this year because of the, the market conditions. So it's it's probably making a little bit of a comeback, whereas uh, just about everything has been sold for cash in the last probably 10 years, to be honest. Yeah, and, and, and what you're saying is just because it always has doesn't mean it always will. So, you know, pools are an older way of trading, I suppose, back in the old single desk days, but it doesn't mean they're completely gone. They, they have their place. Oh, yeah, they, they do have their place. And, and really, at the end of the day, a grower is doing their own pool as such if they're doing some swaps, if they're doing cash, if they're delivering a, to a pool itself or if they're doing off-farm uh, storage you know, and delivering it into the domestic market. All that is is about averaging a price at the end of the day and it's actually working out exactly what your average is in whatever the mechanisms of how you sell your grain. So in essence, the, the work of those single desks and those pools didn't go away. It's just that you took on that work as an individual with advice from a, 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 a team like yours. So, you know, all those things that have to happen still have to happen. You have, you know, you've got price averaging, you have to manage all the market, you have to do all those sort of things. It's just that used to be all sort of outsourced, I suppose, for a fee. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was outsourced. And I guess now it's, uh, there's also, there's just just so much more competition and so many more options in relation to actually getting hold of that information and getting, you know, understanding what is the best mm. price on the day. I mean, and that, that varies. I get, uh, you know, special bids or, you know, hidden bids or whatever every single day. Some buyers it might be two or three times a day, you know, for, for different crops and things like that. So actually getting an idea on where the market is and what's a good price on any given day is probably a lot more complex than what it was. But to me, that's been really good because there's been a lot of competition and such, and competition has actually risen prices to the extent that I would say that since the single desk on the whole, we've probably been a benefit of 25 to 30 bucks a tonne. And wow, I think that's, that's significant the- over quite a lot of tonnes over a fair few years as well. And that was just the nature of the beast of how it used to work and to then bring in competition. And you see that directly through the basis numbers and the charts over those many years and then what it was during the AWB time as well and how they traded. So it's it's just the way that the market's evolved, but it certainly is very useful and we could probably do with more competition, to be brutally honest, in Western Australia rather than um, a couple of really, really large buyers buying most of it. No, I don't think that's the nature of being both both in Australia and then a microcosm in Western mm. Australia. It's small populations, yeah. you know, like... 
And we also don't have those massive domestic markets that those other larger countries have either, do we? Yeah, we, we certainly in WA, we struggle when it comes to domestics. We're, we're actually a little bit jealous when you go to uh, Victoria and New South Wales and stuff. They've actually got quite a few other options and a lot of feedlotters and different things there. You think, oh, man, they've just mm. got... They've got heaps of options, so they can store a lot more on farm, and and they but that that comes with uh, issues in itself as well, actually, because like, you've, yeah. you know, you've you've got to make sure you get paid too, don't you? <laughs> you do. All right, let's just finish off with a couple of things. First of all, do's and don'ts. Let's just do a okay. So let's start off with the negative. So that you're hiring a, either hopefully you're hiring someone like yourself, Chris. This is all sorted for you, but just in general. What are the what are a couple of don'ts with grow marketing, and what are the, what are the really do's? Well, I guess is uh, don't sell at a low price. So, <laughs> so for that, you have to understand what a price a good price is. So a do is to understand what a good price is and what a good historical price is. Do understand the the market mechanics, I guess, which is these things like basis and swaps and your products and stuff that you've got out there. Now, if we're looking at don'ts, don't. Don't go crazy and overhead yourself. You know, you might not have even got the crop in and if you're selling a large percentage, if you don't get the production there, then you are facing washouts and production failures. And, and I can tell you those discussions aren't necessarily a hell of a lot of fun in many cases where you've got to find the grain or you've got to find the money as well. So so it's, it's actually being prudent. It's a do is to control your emotions or that could be a don't, is don't let your emotions control you, I guess, in that regard. And look at it as a business. Don't look at it just as a little family gathering or something or other and you're having a few beers and everything. Is uh, treat it as a proper a business. You know? Have monthly meetings. Make sure everybody's involved. I think those those do's are, are really important in just getting everybody on the, on the same page. And do communicate with your grain marketer as well and do it do it properly and don't spring things on them that uh, you haven't you know, decided or worked on for two or three months or something rather like that because uh, I have had people look at, oh, yeah, I employ a grey marketer, so I've got someone to blame. Anyway, I can take the joke and I've got, I've got uh, broad shoulders and can deal with that. But at the end of the day, what that means is you really should be then, if you think you've got an issue or you want to blame someone or whatever it is, is that it's something you should be openly talking about for you know, two or three, four or five months and, you know, and just trying to work out, okay, was that a problem? Can we go back and revise how we did our decisions and what we did? What have we actually got to learn from those from these markets? You know, what, what could be better for our business? Yeah, and I think what you're saying here is grain marketing is not price gambling. It's it's strategy and it's developing a strategy and executing a strategy and sticking that strategy out. And and uh, and like you're saying, talk with all the people. So if it changes, so if you get a drop in production potentially, like you get a dry spring or something, then then revisit the strategy. So you know, treat it very strategic rather than I don't know. Just trying to go for gold every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and look, and you know, there's always people who are always asking, oh, so what's it going to do tomorrow? And to be honest, uh, if you can tell me what a lot of the world's going to do tomorrow, then good on you. That's that's very good. We'd love to have a crystal ball, and we kind of hope that you know, eight or nine out of ten of our decisions are a good, sound, strategic ones. We know we're not going to get it right all the time, and and a, and a Ukraine war, the oil price is going ballistic. Actually, just mm. shows you exactly that. So, I mean, if everybody knew that. They would have all sold in the, the middle of May and they would have sold to exactly the amount of crop that they're going to produce for the year. But, is, this the, is this the difference between pub-grown marketing and real-grown marketing? it could well be, actually, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where people have actually sold you know, a little bit at a higher price and, uh, 
and I have had many conversations with people who've said that they've they've, they've sold all their grain at that you know for canola this year like a thousand dollars a ton. Um, you know, now it's like at about seven hundred. You know, around those ranges. So it's uh, yeah, the pub talk is is always very very intriguing. Yeah, no, it's keep it keep it real. Yeah, wow, well, yeah, but then that that's not as much fun as embellishing a few little things. So. Oh no! It's, I think I think selling grain is a bit like fishing. We were talking about, isn't it? Everything gets bigger. Yep, it does. It does. It seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like, <laughs> Just before we go, I like to ask people: You're a Coomadale boy. You've been in farming your whole life. But what do you do when you're not talking to farmers, being around farming, grain marketing? So, what? How do you? relax when you're not hanging around ag all day. Well, I, well, I've got that phantom obsession. I've also got a bit of an obsession uh. with um, a team called Carlton. So I, I, I do get involved in watching a fair bit of, you know, I like footy. Uh, I'm actually going to the AFL Grand Final this year, so I'm actually really oh, looking forward to that. So that'll be good fun, even though Carlton won't be in it. And I play a fair bit of hockey. I'm actually in the Grand yep. Final this coming weekend, so that's a little bit exciting. Oh. And that's that's oh, sort of something luck. where you know you can get your white line fever as soon as you jump over the line. So that way you don't you know you don't think about grain marking. I can guarantee you at all when you've got a ball coming straight <laughs> at your head at 140 kilometres an hour, you need to dodge. So that's that's good fun. And I I do like a little bit of fishing and uh, you know catching up with mates and going to the pub and just you know, generally relaxing yeah. where when you can actually, which you tend to find gets harder and harder and harder to find those moments to relax. It is, isn't it? And I think um, one of the I always say one of the things I miss about farming that I don't get in a in an office job like we both I suppose have is that I miss the what I used to call drenching time. You know that that you know that eight hours of sitting there drenching sheep with nothing to do but think or driving yeah. around checking crops. You know that 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 time to think and you don't really get that in an office. No, really. no, no. I do get that a little bit uh, when you if you're doing a bit of driving around the state and things like that, and if you mm. listen to the odd. Agrimaster podcast or something rather like that, you know, something of uh, a bit of quality, which is good. So, you know, there's 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 a little bit of thinking time, I guess. Well, there you go, mate. I'll give you thanks for <laughs> your right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Thanks, Chris. Thank you very much for your time. If you're looking for a good grain marketer, ten tigers as you go. Remember, it's phantom, so it's strong. Yeah. Thanks very much, and all the best for the twenty two season with you and your clients and get the get the calculator out for 2023 people yeah we're trying don't worry it's uh and it's a battle that's <laughs> well, a fun battle <laughs> it's a fun battle and just remember to keep the strategy strong guys all right, all right. thank you very much mate. thanks chris as always if you'd like to know more about agramaster farm business management software and services you can find us at www.agrimaster.com.au or find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. If you like this episode, please share it on social media or directly with a friend. And let's make farm business great together.